be re reading this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20. That's on page 1023 in your pew Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 20. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. If, in fact, the dead did not rise, or if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. For if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being with us. You've honored us with your presence, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you and that you'll come back time and time again. We would love to have you be a part of the work and the worship and the service of God here in this place. Greetings from Colonial Cruz, Uslatan, El Salvador. Uh, it's a wonderful a community that the church was established there last year at this time by a team that went down from this congregation. And uh, many of us have spent the week with those people and worked shoulder to shoulder with those people. And the church is doing well after a year there. And it looks like great things will continue uh, to be a part of that community. And we give God all the glory for that. And later there will be a report given about this and much more said about it. But just know that there were uh, 12 baptisms and several restorations, and it was a wonderful work of benevolent service to help those with medical needs and also of evangelistic work uh, to bring people to the resurrected Lord. And so it is. We're home safely late last night, and we thank God for that, and we appreciate everybody in this congregation that has been supporting this work in prayers, financially, uh, concern for those that are going, concern for family members that have remained behind. Uh, everyone should be involved in all that we do in some way. And so we say thank you to each that have a part of that. The passion of the Christ has stirred quite a scene across America and even across the world. Many of you have probably noticed that Time magazine even has a, a portrait or rendition an artist uh, would believe that Jesus would look like pulling or dragging or uh, bearing the cross. And then in capitalized letters, what is much more significant to me than an artist's rendition of Jesus is the question, why did Jesus have to die? It's interesting and it's wonderful that there's been that kind of interest sparked across our land and those kind of questions being asked. And over the last six weeks, we have tried to address questions like that. And so this morning, we have 
resurrected Lord in that historic event that this is how Jesus resurrected that Sunday morning and the events that evolved or revolved around that event. But instead, we will study it this morning and others would ask questions about it. And one of the questions that is a fair question to ask, and we ought to give our life and study to make sure that not the answer to this question, but that we are living our life in submission to the answer of this question. And it is this. What does the resurrection prove? Now, oftentimes, people say, how can you prove there was a resurrection? And that, too, can be proven, but that's not the question this morning. Is what does the resurrection prove? Now, as we think about what the resurrection proves, we have just had the text so capably read from 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, that is the longest discourse in all of the Bible about the topic of the resurrection. As a matter of fact, we have 57 verses with the topic of the resurrection and then a conclusion in verse 58 to remain faithful. And so as we think about this portion of verses, I want us to notice that first of all, Paul would have us to understand from 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, and especially as we go back uh, to verse 14 and 15, that it is within the resurrection that we have proof scriptures are true. Now that also is a little bit of a different term. Because oftentimes we would say that the scriptures prove the resurrection. But notice, we didn't say that either. This morning, we said the resurrection proves the Scriptures are true. Now, with that, again, back to the text. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. If it's not true that Jesus resurrected from the grave, then in verse 14, our faith is empty. And here's the one we're keying off of now. Verse 15. And we talking about the apostles that are going around preaching about the resurrected Lord, we are found false witnesses of God. Now, at first glance, it'd be easy to see that what Paul is saying here is if we're going around preaching, Lord, we'd be false. making is we are only, the apostles are only preaching the message that God has given them. They've been inspired of the Holy Spirit. And so if the Holy Spirit has given them a message and they have relayed that message with accuracy as it has been given to them, but yet the message is not true, Paul is saying the problem is not us as apostles, the problem is God. God has told us a lie. And what's interesting, when we go back and study through the book of Acts, and we don't have time to study in depth all of these, but be turning, if you will, to Acts the second chapter. And Acts the second chapter, and that's on page 966. Page 966. I'm sorry we don't have PowerPoint slides this morning. There's not many computers with PowerPoint in El Salvador. On page 966 in Acts the second chapter, let's notice the first sermon that was preached on the day of Pentecost, the day the church began, and notice how the topic is the resurrected Lord. But notice how the Scriptures not only prove that there was going to be a resurrected Lord, but then he flips that coin over just as we're doing this morning and says, now, if that's true, the resurrected Lord also proves that what God says is true. And then the question for them and for us this morning is, 
Do we believe it? Are we following it? So this is how he develops his sermon in Acts, the second chapter. In verse 22, he's talking to them about the Jesus of Nazareth, and he reminds them that they are the ones in 23 that have crucified and slain him. And then in 24, we come to our topic of the resurrection. And he says in 24, whom God raised up. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Think about the power that is within this one verse. Having loosed the pains of death, here it is, because it was not possible, it was not possible that he should be held by it. Why couldn't Jesus stay in the tomb? Because God is so powerful, it wasn't possible that Satan could hold Jesus down in the grave. Now, back to the sermon here. He says in 25, for David says concerning him. You see what Paul is doing here? Peter is doing here? Peter is going back and saying, you saw just a few days that you crucified a man. That man's name was Jesus of Nazareth. You remember that he was taken down from that cross and he was placed in the tomb. You also know that that tomb was found empty and that He is resurrected. And now, 50 days later, I'm going to remind you that this isn't something that you ought to be surprised about. He's speaking to Jews here that would have known the Scriptures well. He says, I'm going to go back to your Scriptures that you know very well. And he goes back to Psalm 16, and that's the rest of verse 25 and 26, 27 and 28. And so he goes back and says, did not the Scriptures say that? And let's key especially... Uh, let's read this, but notice as we get down to 27. So this is what he says in 25. For I foresaw, this is out of Psalm 16, 8 and 11. For I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades. In other words, the realm of the dead. Jesus was not going to remain there. Notice this next line. This proves the resurrection. And this was all the way back in, in the Psalms. He says, Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Did Jesus' body, was it corrupted in the tomb? No. Because it didn't stay in the tomb long enough. It was resurrected. It never saw corruption. And so he's writing, or he's preaching here, and he reminds them of the writings here of the psalmist hundreds of years before to say, it should be no surprise to you that Jesus Christ was resurrected. David, King David said that it would be so. Now, as the great preacher that Peter was, not only did he take the events of that day, the resurrection of Jesus would have been fresh on the individual's mind, and then tie it back into the Scriptures that they knew well, he also helped clear up some misunderstandings that they had. You see, they would have very quickly answered him on that day if he would not have proceeded as he did. They would have answered that day and said, Nope, 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 nope. That is not a psalm about Jesus of Nazareth. That is a psalm about what happened to David. And so before they can even say that, He continues his sermon in 29. Now, not quoting scriptures from the Old Testament. Now he's explaining the scriptures. And notice what he says in 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us today. Now let's go ahead and read 30, and we're going to develop two points from this. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his own body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ 
to sit on his throne. Do you see what he's saying to those people? He says, oh, you think this is a Psalms about David? Okay. We all know where his tomb is. Let's go to David's tomb and let's see. Did his bones see corruption? We're going to find them there, and you're going to know this isn't a psalm about David. Now let's get on to a more important point. Verse 30, he says, this is a psalm about the Lord. He has been resurrected, and he's sitting on the right-hand throne of God. The tomb is found empty. Jesus Christ is alive. What has happened here? He's saying the Scriptures prove the resurrection, and now he's saying the resurrection proves the Scriptures, and now he's going to conclude by saying, what are you going to do with this? Let's look how he concludes this. Uh, at least as we conclude this point. The sermon will go on for a few more verses. But notice in 32, he says, this Jesus God has raised up. See, he's emphasizing that again. He's saying, now we're back on the topic of the resurrection of which we were all witnesses. In other words, brethren, today people might debate the fact whether or not Jesus was resurrected. That thing didn't happen in a corner. And that's a quote from Acts 26. People in that day and time, there would have been a stir across the world. Jesus Christ was resurrected. Over 500 people seen Him. We have plenty of witnesses to validate this is a fact. And so that's what He goes to here. He goes to that fact and He says, you all know it. The resurrected Lord has been witnessed. Now where do we go from here? Verse 33, therefore. You remember what therefore is placed in the Bible for, right? To connect what has just been said with what is about to be said. So he's established that there's a resurrected Lord. And now he says, what are we going to do with this point? Now that we believe there's a resurrected Lord because the Scriptures told us and because the resurrection proves the Scriptures is true. Now I'm assuming that everyone's already thinking this, but maybe that's not a safe assumption. So let's have a time out here for just a moment. You realize if there would have been no resurrected Lord, the Scriptures would have been false. We could rip up the pages and we could say, God lied to us. He spoke through David and said it would happen. It didn't happen. I can't trust a God that can't tell the truth. So that's the point Peter's making here. Peter's making the point, he said it was going to happen. It happened. That proves the Scriptures is true. Now, if God speaks, what do we do? Well, let's see this in 32. Therefore, it's tying all of this together, being exalted to the right hand of God. That's Jesus being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise, the promise of what? The Holy Spirit. He poured out this which you now see and hear. You remember at the first part of Acts 2, the Holy Spirit was poured upon them. They began speaking and every tongue could understand what was being said and what was being said. They saw something. They heard something. They heard the gospel being revealed. Well, what did that gospel say when these individuals were convicted of sins and they cried out? What shall we do to be saved? Do you see what's happened here? They've taken the proof that the resurrection proves the Scriptures to be true and say, Lord, now we believe you. What is it? that you want us to do. And they were told to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And so as we summarize this first point, I want to ask you something this morning, this very important question. Do you believe the resurrection is true? I would assume that the majority of the people in this gathering believe that the resurrection is true. Number two, if the resurrection is true, that proves that the Scriptures are true. Number three, 
what do you do with the truth? There might as well have not been a resurrected Lord in my life if I'm not going to obey the Scriptures because it leaves me at the same place. You could say, oh, can you imagine how terrible it would be if there were no resurrected Lord? Friends, the conditions are going to be the same for the eternity for the person that has not served the Lord, but yet says, I believe that there's a resurrected Lord for those that if there were no resurrected Lord. Let's see a second thing. As we go back to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, we see not only that the resurrected Lord proves that the Scriptures is true, but when we go back to 1 Corinthians 15, we read down through verse 20. What I'd like for us to do is read just a few more verses. And as we read these verses, I want you to note the word kingdom. The word kingdom is a synonym here for the church. And he says in 21, for since, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it's page 1023 on your pew Bibles, 1023. He says, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. That's verse 21 referring to Adam and to Jesus Christ. 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end. What's going to happen? When he delivers whom? He delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, when He puts to an end to all who rule and all authority and power. Now, wait a minute. What does the resurrection tell us? The resurrection tells us that there's going to be a deliverance of the kingdom to the Father. The resurrection then proves that there is a kingdom. Now, we can't see that exactly from this passage, but we see it clearly if you'll turn over to Matthew, the 16th chapter. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, and that's on page 866 in your pew Bible. Matthew, the 16th chapter, you remember that the question has been asked, who are people saying that I am by Jesus? And of course, the answer is given there that finally that He is the Son of God by Peter. And then in verse 18, He says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, did you notice we read the word church and the kingdom being used interchangeably here? Of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so we learn that here the kingdom is the same thing as the church on this earth. Interchangeable terms. And what do we learn about the kingdom or about the church? We hear Jesus saying here, at this point in time, it's to come. It's not been established right now because He said, I will, that's future tense, I will build my church. So it was something that, again, was prophesied that it would take place. But did you notice that He said also there in verse 18, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it? That is a Jewish way of saying Death shall not prevail against it. Why is that important? It's important because this is prophecy. Jesus hasn't died yet. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to build my church, and even when you see me die, don't think, oh no, now there's no hope, there's not going to be a church. He says, instead, know that even death can't stop my church from being established. Why, Lord? Because I'm going to be resurrected. 
Death can't stop you and I as members of God's kingdom from entering into eternal life, not physical death. Why? Because Christ's resurrection proves that there was going to be a kingdom. Because you see, we can't be a part of Christ's kingdom if Christ is dead. Dead men don't rule. Only the living. Christ has to be a living king if we're to be a part of a living kingdom. And so it is. It is a beautiful point when we see the importance of the church. As we think about the importance of the church, be turning to Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians, the first chapter, as it ties also back to the resurrection. That's page 1,038 in your pew Bibles. 1,038. I'd like to remind you that in the Scriptures that we just left, in Acts, the second chapter, that when those folks responded to the teachings of God and they were baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, the last verse in that chapter tells us that the Lord was adding the saved into the church. The saved and the church are synonyms in the New Testament. Now, we don't have time to develop that this morning. But I urge you, if that doesn't sound right to you, to go back and to study carefully. There's not such a thing in the Scriptures as a saved person that's not a part of the church. Saved is a synonym of the church. Kingdom is a synonym of the church. Body of Christ is a synonym of the church. And so as we think about the resurrection, in other words, there had to be those Uh, There had to be a living king that could redeem people and bring spiritual life back into uh, into them so that they could have the hope of eternal life. Now with this in mind, let's read the 20th verse of Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 and 20, we're picking up in the middle of a sentence, and he says, "...which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." Where? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the age, but also in that which is to come. And what did He do? He put all things, God put all things under His, Jesus' feet, and gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him, and who fills all in all. There is so much in this one passage that we just read, but note for this lesson especially this. Where did the Lord go when He was resurrected? When He was resurrected, He went to sit on the right-hand throne of God where all power was given to Him, and a great part of that power that was given to Him, that He would be head of the church. What is the body of Christ, the church? It's in Him that has all fullness. There is no such thing as a right relationship with the resurrected Lord outside of His body. Christ is the head of the body, which is the church. Christ is the resurrected one. We have to be in Christ's body if we're going to have life because He is the resurrected one. Do you see how foolish it is to say, right here is the resurrected one. There's only hope in Him. Well, who is He? Christ is the head. Well, who's His body? The church is His body. And here's a person over here that wants to be a loner and sit under a tree and say, I can find God anywhere. I don't need the church. Well, did that tree become resurrected for you? Did nature become resurrected for you? We all die spiritually. Sin separates us from God. 
We have to have life brought to us by someone or something. What brought you eternal life? Well, I just found God at various places. No. You may think you did. My friends, the Scriptures teach that the resurrection proves the importance of the church. The living Christ established a living church. And there's no life spiritually outside His church. Let's close with a very important point as we go to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, we've already really introduced this message by the text. Did you notice those last few verses we read just a few moments ago? In verse 24 began by saying, really the end of 23 says, afterwards those who are Christ at His coming. In other words, now we're talking about judgment day. And then 24 begins by saying, then comes the end. Of course, that's talking about judgment day. And then 25 says, for He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. And then in 26, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. What's the point Paul is getting at here? Now think about it. This is a whole chapter about the resurrection. Why is Paul talking about the day of judgment in a chapter about the resurrection? Because the resurrection of Jesus proves that there's going to be a judgment day. If Jesus would have died and never been resurrected, He could not be a judge that comes back to judge us. He'd be dead. And we also would say, well, you know, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to die and there's not going to be a soul that lives on. In other words, we're going to be like animals. We die and there's nothing that breathes on. There's no breath of life in us. And here, he writes in the resurrection to say to us, there is something after this life. And let me tell you who's going to reign after this life. Christ has all power, and every one of His enemies will be destroyed. And all that are with Him will live. You see, Jesus being the resurrected one definitely proves, definitely proves that there'll be a judgment. Let's see this. In just one verse, Acts the 17th chapter, very quickly. That's on page 985 in your pew Bibles. Acts the 17th chapter, Paul is preaching, and he's preaching to uh, many Gentiles. They have a lot of beliefs in idols. And so in this sermon, instead of going back and quoting Old Testament texts, which Jews would appreciate it, these Gentiles would have no appreciation for that. So he doesn't go back and build this sermon on Old Testament. He goes back and builds this sermon on who's the Creator. And what he's doing is showing that it's God who gave life to this earth, and it's God who's going to give life eternally. The Day of Judgment's an important topic. So that's how this sermon ends. Acts the 17th chapter, let's begin at 30 and go into 31. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Paul, it's important that everybody repents. How are you going to motivate people to repent? And he says, here's my motivation. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Who's going to be the judge? By the man whom he has ordained. What's the proof? He has given assurance of this to all 
By raising him from the dead. I don't believe there's going to be a resurrection. I don't believe there's going to be a day of judgment. I just don't believe in those things. And Paul says, I want to tell you something. God's already proven it. You can decide whether you want to believe it or not, but God's already proven it. Okay, Paul, how has he proven it? Jesus Christ is resurrected. And that's proof. That's good news. That's good news for those that are children of God. Remember John 14 where he told them that he told his apostles that night that he was going to prepare a place and that he'd come again. Where he is there we may be also. Judgment day is a great day because Jesus Christ lives. And because Jesus Christ lives, we can live. As we close this Sunday morning series of lessons that have addressed topics that oftentimes are sparked as we think about the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord. I want you to think with me for just a moment. The imagery that we paint in our mind of the crucifixion. The point isn't, did Mel Gibson get it right? That's only one man's thoughts and creation of how he thought it might have been. The point is, the crucifixion, in many ways, was an ugly sight. A perfect man was portrayed by supposedly a friend. He was given illegal trials at night and unfair trials by day. He was dragged before a man who was very indifferent and made pitiful decisions. A mob cried out, crucify him. Thorns were pushed in his brow. His back was ripped open with scourgings. He drug a cross. He met that cross and hung there until he died. It doesn't matter who you are. Everyone would admit That's a horrible sight. Do you know what? The story doesn't end there. When the angels rolled back the stone, it wasn't to let Jesus out. It was to let the witnesses see Him. If death couldn't hold Him, you know a rock couldn't hold Him. God wanted the whole world to see. Look at this beautiful event. Look at his, the, the cloth lying there. He's not there. He's alive. He is alive. And His resurrection, it proves to us so much. It proves that God says and what He says is true. It proves to us that there's a place of the spiritually living and the place is the church. And it proves to us that there's a living judge that all of us will stand before. And those that are His will be delivered to the Father for an eternity. Amen. This morning, 
What do you believe about the resurrection? And what does your life prove about what you believe about the resurrection? If your life is in conflict to the proof of the resurrection, I'd urge you this morning, don't try to change God's will. What He's spoken is true. Let's change our will. If you're a believer that's willing to repent of sins and confess before man that Jesus is the Son of God and want to be immersed into Jesus Christ and come out of that water resurrected spiritually, the sins forgiven, and you're alive spiritually, just as Jesus came out of the grave alive. If you have never done that, this morning can be the morning that you'll never forget. It'll be an awesome decision, the beginning of a great commitment. Maybe you've begun that journey and somewhere along the way you've lost sight of the empty tomb. You've lost sight of a king that rules in your life. Maybe you've lost sight of the truth of the scriptures or the importance of the church or the fact that there is going to be a day of judgment. The resurrection keeps bringing those points back home. If I really love and believe in a resurrected Lord, it's going to keep my focus where it needs to be. If you need to repent of sins and confess, let's pray forgiveness. We can help in any way. Come as we stand, as we sing.